All right. Soul Cruiser here, a.k.a. Clay Low. And this is episode number 294 of the now named The Soul Cruiser Diaries. And um, I've got a... I've actually, on this episode, I've got a, a guest that I'll introduce uh, in a second. Um, and we're going to talk about time, which, I know, as I get older, you know, I'm in the second half of life, as it were, on the downward slope as I like to say I know people think that might be negative but I mean it's the truth isn't it you know if you're middle age it's called middle age for a reason uh, and you know not getting any more years back and so headed down the backside of the curve <laughs> which is alright it's life cycle isn't it that's, that's what life is about but uh, Dave Anderson is is my guest today, and we're going to be discussing time. It was, it was something he wanted to talk about, and it's a topic that's always on my mind. And not because I'm older now, as you'll hear in the in the episode. Once Dave and I get going, is that probably my big awareness with time and fascination with time came when I was about 15, 16, like a real deep fascination with time. By the time I was 16, I'll talk about Pink Floyd's song, Time, and you'll hear how that was a big influence on me. But that song, that song actually, um, and even to this day still does, that song, put to words everything that I think about life and think about time and my relationship to time is all in that Pink Floyd song. It's perfect. And I came across something else that I just wanted to share with you before I get into the episode. Um, And one of my favorite writers is Hunter S. Thompson. I love this gonzo style of putting himself into the story and his wild imagination and hyperbole and, you know, just poking people in the eye with his words to get them to think about important things, the politics of the day that was going on. And just loved, loved that. Loved the fact that he could, you know, you weren't trying to, if it was fact or fantasy whenever you're reading it, because he just blends the two together uh, so well. But it makes you think, and it makes you go and seek out more answers. And I recently started rereading um, one of his books. In fact, it's probably, it was the first, my first introduction Introduction to Hunter was um, Better Than Sex, which is a, a, a 
Just looking around here. On, I'm, I got my original car. I have it on ebook now. Mind the squeaking of my squeaky chair. Just pulling this off the shelf. Okay, so yeah. And, and I picked this up. I picked this up. And I was in Germany. And it was in one of these military surplus sales so you know once the war came down and there was no need to have all these soldiers in Europe they were closing lots of bases and they used to have what they called these DRMO cells and you could go there and get all sorts of stuff because they had all the furniture and they had um, you know because there was libraries and you know everything the military has a you know as a microcosm of of your civilian life normal life so you know, and they, Uncle Sam provides everything. We got auto shops and craft shops and, you know, there's libraries and um, everything. So we used to go to the DRMO cells primarily to find some outstanding furniture. I mean, we used to get some really good furniture and they'd be selling it for like, you know, $10, $15. I mean, just dirt cheap. But, you know, getting, it's not like the, you know, these little plastic, you know, the plywoody thingies you get from, you know, flat pack things you're getting from, you know, Ikea or wherever, Argos, wherever. Um, this was like solid oak and maple and, I mean, like heavy, duty furniture, man. Awesome stuff. Um, even like one of my prized possessions I was trying to get was a pool table. And I never quite got there. almost got one. I had a supply sergeant that was um, getting me different pieces of it. And he almost had it, almost had it, the whole of it, but never quite finished it all. So I never got this pool table. It's a shame. But yeah, you could go to these DRML sales and find um, some really good bargains. Anyway, so how I came across Hunter was at one of these DRML sales. Um, I guess it would have just been books from the library that were uh, in the big boxes. And I was just going through and it caught my eye. It's kind of a blackish, greenish kind of cover. And it's got this bald dude in dark shades. Kind of looks like a white Morpheus. And he's on a, a, a phone. And it's called Better Than Sex. I don't know if that's what caught my attention. Oh, he's got a badge on as well. Uh, and below that is Confessions of a Political Junkie Trapped Like a Rat in Mr. Bill's Neighborhood is the book. <laughs> and yeah, just that caught my attention. And then I just started leafing through it. And just the style of it's the writing in it, you know, because he, he was just a wild dude. But, you know, we've got quotes from Edgar Allan Poe, The Raven. Um, and then lots of his like faxes and memos and things that he would send to various different politicians or groups of people um, and the drawings, you know, because I, I love doodling. So there's loads of uh, that going on in here. So it was just a random find. Had never heard of Hunter S. Thompson before in my life. Uh, and anything that I had ever written 
red, rather. And so never heard of the cat, saw the cover, flipped through the words that I'd read, uh, captured my attention enough, so I just bought it. Probably only paying pennies for it anyway, so it wasn't like I was, you know, splurging out, <laughs> breaking the bank to get this book. It was probably only pennies. But having then afterwards read the book, I was an immediate fan, and I wanted to read everything he ever wrote. So I collected all of his books, and I got all of his letters that were bound into giant volumes. Um, And just, yeah, anything. Got all the documentaries, even now, that have been made on him since his passing. Um, Continued to scour the internet looking for any any more stuff that might have come out or um, that's written about him. Yeah, just a dude that, a writer that is like, yay. And so, yes, um, on one of my searches, the internet, looking to see if there's anything surfaced about Hunter as I was leafing through this Better Than Sex book, just reread I just periodically will pick one of the books off my bookshelf of his and just start re rereading them uh, especially when I'm looking for um I mean just inspiration just to inspire me again in terms of my own sort of writing or storytelling um I can always get pumped up when I read Hunter's work and I came across a website dedicated to gonzo journalism. I would try and find it again for you right now. Um, but I'll see if it comes up in my pocket. Otherwise, I'll just keep going on. And if I find it later, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, just, uh, oh, there it is. Got it. It's a website called gonzovoice.com. And so I went there because I hadn't come across that before. And as I said, I'm, I'm always periodically doing a search for Hunter and see what other stuff surface. And it's a surface. But in that, as I was reading it, uh, there's person has a blog post in there in which they extracted a letter from Hunter. And it was someone asking him for advice about life, about, you know, what the heck do you do with your life kind of thing. And it just seemed fitting for this podcast because I'm going to be talking about time. Um, a number of conversations I've been having over the past week have been about time as in, hey man, we're getting old now. <laughs> what are we what are we gonna do with the second half of our lives here? Yeah. And while this Yeah, so yeah, let me just get into this because it was it really caught my attention and I wanted to share it with you guys. So it's a letter to Hunter 
or as a letter from Hunter replying to a friend that was asking him for advice. And he says here, Dear Hume, you asked advice. Ah, what a very human and a very dangerous thing to do. For to give advice to a man who asks what to do with his life implies something very close to egomania. To presume to point a man to the right and ultimate goal, to point with a trembling finger in the right direction, is something only a fool would take upon himself. I am not a fool. But I respect your sincerity in asking my advice. I ask you, though, in listening to what I say, to remember that all advice can only be a product of the man who gives it. What is truth to one may be disaster to another. I do not see life through your eyes, nor you through mine. If I were to attempt to give you specific advice, it would be too much like the blind leading the blind. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of troubles. That is, of course, from Shakespeare. And indeed, that is the question. Whether to float with the tide or to swim for a goal. It is a choice we must all make consciously or unconsciously at one time in our lives. So few people understand this. Think of any decision you've ever made which had bearing on your future. I may be wrong, but I don't see how it could have been anything but a choice, however indirect, between the two things I've mentioned, the floating or the swimming. But why not float if you have no goal? That's another question. Is it unquestionable better is it unquestionably better to enjoy the floating than to swim in uncertainty? So how does a man find a goal? Not a castle in the stars, but a real and tangible thing. How can a man be sure he's not after the big rock candy mountain, the enticing sugar candy goal? It has little taste and no substance. The answer, and in a sense, the tragedy of life, is that we seek to understand the goal and not the man. We, seek to, we set up a goal which demands of us certain things, and we do these things. We adjust to the demands of a concept which cannot be valid. When you were young, let us say that you wanted to be a fireman. I feel reasonably safe in saying that you no longer want to be a fireman. Why? Because your perspective has changed. It's not the fireman who has changed, but you. Every man is the sum total of his reactions to experience. As your experiences, as your experiences differ and multiply, you become a different man, and hence your perspective changes. This goes on and on. Every reaction is a learning process. Every significant experience alters your perspective. So it would seem foolish, would it not, to adjust our lives to the demands of a goal we see from a different angle every day. How could we ever hope to accomplish anything other than galloping neurosis? The answer, then, must not deal with goals at all, 
or not with tangible goals anyway. It would be, it would take reams of paper to develop this subject to fulfillment. God only knows how many books have been written on the meaning of man and that sort of thing. And God only knows how many people have pondered the subject. I use the term God only knows purely as an expression. There's very little sense in my trying to give it up to you in the proverbial nutshell because I'm the, I'm the first to admit my absolute lack of qualifications for reducing the meaning of life to one or two paragraphs. I'm going to steer clear of the word existentialism, but you might keep it in mind as a key of sorts. You might also try something called Being a Nothingness by Jean Paul Sartre. Another little thing called existentialism from Dvatsky to Sartre. These are merely suggestions. If you're genuinely satisfied with what you are and what you're doing, then give those books a wide berth. Let sleeping dogs lie. But back to the answer. As I said, to put our faith in tangible goals would seem to be, at best, unwise. So we do not strive to be firemen. We do not strive to be bankers, nor policemen, nor doctors. We strive to be ourselves. But don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that we can't be firemen, bankers, or doctors, but that we must make the goal conform to the individual rather than make the individual conform to the goal. And every man, hereditary, and environment have combined to produce a creature of certain abilities and desires, including a deeply ingrained need to function in such a way that his life will be meaningful. Man has to be something. He has to matter. And I'm going to stop there because it goes on for a while. But look it up. Um, it's worth reading all of it, the rest of it, feeling that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so even as I have read, that's just about half the letter there. It's, you know, even now I'm going into a great reflective space and thinking about that. Because I've always been the kind of guy that um, I've always shied away from, you know, making these five-year plan, 10-year plan, these big giant goals. I'm going to be this, that, and the other thing and achieve this by this time and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I've, you know, like, you know, most of us, I've decided I wanted to do something and just kind of set it out there as an intention and kind of generally moving in that direction. So probably more floating in that direction than swimming in that direction. I'm quite happy to take little diversions and swim different little streams coming into the mainstream. Um... You know, like my decision to do the whole West Point infantry officer thing. You know, that was a goal as a as a as a, a kid, and I kind of set it out there, and I kind of worked towards work worked towards that. Um, but I didn't have a you know a giant life goal that you know I'm going to be this thing. 
um, and I'm going to be this thing by this time. This was kind of, I guess it's, as I'm thinking about it now, a reflect, an experience kind of goal. So I wanted to, you know, I grew up as, you know, as a kid and wanting adventure and, um, you know, reading the whole sort of uh, heroic fantasy books with good versus evil and, you know, knights and warriors and wizards and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I grew up on military bases and essentially it was adventure that was the call. I wanted adventure. I wanted to have a life of adventure, but dangerous adventure in terms of like, I didn't want to just, you know, go explore a city or explore that. It was like, ah, I need to do some real adrenaline type stuff. And yeah, the army was always had that promise, didn't it? I mean, the Navy had those great commercials of the US Navy had those great commercials of, you know, it's not just a job, it's an adventure. Um, and of course, reading the heroic fantasy stuff and, you know, warriors and things like that going off on these great quests. You know, I, I wanted to do that. And the army was that way. And I had the chance to apply for and go to West Point, And so I did. And I got in, well, eventually got in. I didn't get in straight away, but, you know, I got there and I chose infantry. I mean, I could have done, you know, could have gone any number of, you know, branches and ways and stuff, but just kind of had my mind set on being an infantry man because that was the closest thing to, you know, a modern day warrior that you could be. And so that's what I had the intention set on. Um. Yeah, so I guess I'm saying that to say I've, you know, I've had, I'm not a guy to write a goal down. It's on paper. Like, I never wrote that goal down. I just, that's what I wanted to do. And I moved towards that. And I kind of live that way. So if you were to ask me to sh show you my goals for this year and next year and this five-year plan and how am I going to get there? And I wouldn't be able to produce that for you. If you wanted to know, well, you know, what's your intention? What do you want to do? What are you moving towards? You know, I have that idea. And so I kind of use that and I kind of float and let things come into my life that needs to come into my life that gives me um, more experiences, gives me different clues. You know, I'm a avid, crazy, psycho reader and learner. And so... If I want to know how to do something or know about something, um, I always turn to my friends, my books, the books, and then, you know, I jump into it, learn what I need to learn. And some stuff I apply to life, some stuff just, I just read it just because it's interesting. Yeah, so there's floating versus swimming. I'm definitely, you know, probably not probably did spend more time going with the flow as opposed to you know i'm gonna swim hard for this distant point and i and i i have no idea which one is best um i often envy people who have uh a, this deter rock hard determination goals are written down they got everything on paper and they're marching to um, this big, massive life plan 
that they have and they don't deviate from it. They're on it. They're on course. They're on point. Uh, yeah, so I often kind of envy those folks. Um, but the thing always in the back of my head, I think, is if I if I collapsed a wave, as they would say in quantum physics, and only focused on that one path, what's the opportunity cost of doing that? What other paths do I potentially miss? Because I'm so focused. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Which one are you? Do you are you float or you swim or you, you know, go with the flow kind of person or do you have a definite set set of goals that you want to achieve and you know you've got a five year plan, ten year plan, and you are ticking off the boxes on the list that has taken you closer to achieving the particular goal that you've set. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into the conversation that I had with my friend Dave Anderson. Now, I met Dave I met Dave through Twitter, and I think it was through the radio Warwickshire heydays, like the when we were proper up into the internet radio station. Um, and it was through that that we connected on Twitter and conversed on Twitter and that kind of thing. And, um, and then we finally, in fact, we only just really met in real life for the first time I guess tail end of last year ish we wet limit wet we met in Limington Spa at the Havana Cafe where I used to do that podcast um so that was our first in real life meeting um and then yeah so then we kind of Twitter buds and uh we actually went for a nice we met up a few weeks ago to go for a nice cycle ride. Dave's a big time cycle dude, stud, doing his hundred mile cycles. And I had to, I had to make sure I kind of steered towards taking the e-bikes out because he would have killed me otherwise. If we had gone man, if I had gone manual bike riding, <laughs> yeah, this is cool. I know he's got some more adventures on the cycle lined up as well. And, but we've decided um, to record another episode together. We've done an episode in the past on the Havana Cafe one. Um, and I was just kind of in the space of needing uh, some more, another conversation for, you know, one of my other podcasts. But um, anyway, that's unimportant. Um, I decided it would fit right here in the Soul Cruiser Diaries. And we talk about and explore time and our relationship to time and all of that, especially as a couple of old men. <laughs> so if you're a young man, if you're young, listen, if you're in your early 20s and stuff, man, 
You know, yeah. It's one of those things. What was the saying? It's the saying that says, um, youth is wasted on the wrong people. <laughs> and, and, he, and it's hard to tell young people stuff. And I know, you know, I was young once, wasn't I? Um, and it would be such a cool thing. And that's a nice thought experiment. It's like, if I went back in time, when I was 18, 19, but with the knowledge and experience, that I have now, the experience that I've had, you know, the, the knowledge that I have built up from the experiences that I've had, so wisdom, I guess that would be called, um, that if I had, if I knew all those things, the stuff that I know now, would I have made different choices and stuff like that? Um, and then when you, you know, when I see young people like my son and daughter and stuff like that, and you want to, you want to give them all your lessons and say, hey, steer clear of that and go here. Uh, they don't want to hear it, really. Cause, but then, you know, they've got to forge their own path. I mean, I know they hear a little bit of it, but, you know, you want to say, here, here's a fast track, man. Avoid all of that. But then if they avoid all of that, where do they get their experiences from? Um, and how do they, you know, formulate the people or the person the man or woman that they're going to be so I guess everyone has to everyone's got to take the journey don't we I mean there's no real shortcuts other than to live the journey um, I do think there is something to say you know maybe pay attention to you know why make it hard for yourself if you're young and you're listening to this don't make it hard man learn from the experiences of others and you can fly, man. You can fly. All right, so let's get on with it. It's a conversation with a Twitter bud, Dave Anderson. How do we really interpret time? Because obviously we use it in our daily lives. You and I sort of like, okay, we're going to be at 8 o'clock. We've got maybe uh, our watches on. We've certainly got our our technology that's telling us what the time is. So we're using time that tends to guide our daily lives on where we should be and when. Um, but really, what does that mean over the course of your lifetime? So how are you going to use that when it's difficult to conceptualise that in the course of a lifetime and, and do certain things that you may, when you get to the end of your life, you think, shit, I wish I'd have done that. It's too late. Mm. Um, and if there's some ideas that anybody who's interested with who listens to this that between the two of us think oh okay either the listener could try something or as we go through this you and I could bounce a few ideas around and I end up trying something for instance so it's like what does it mean to the individual and then one thing that really I have uh, a real interest in I don't know if anybody's written anything about this, but what does it mean as a bigger picture and as a collective, as a human race? Obviously, it strikes me we struggle appear to, we, we struggle with the concept of time and how we're relevant to it. And so in the fullness of time, you know, we, we can go back to year dot was when when the earth was formed, which is what four and a half billion years ago. And as a species, 
we're the most intelligent thing on the planet, but we appear to not be able to picture our own lives and where we are at this moment with respect to an entire either world history or a history of our species or an history of our nations. And actually then, more importantly, because we failed, I feel we failed to understand that, what does that mean for the future? So this might be deep, sort of far out stuff. I'm not so sure if... Um, no, I dig it, man. Through. This is good. No, this is good. This is, this is my kind of... This is my kind of jam, man. I like the deep, far, far out stuff. The only thing that would make this better, and we're doing this on Zoom, the only thing that would make this better if we were around a campfire in the night with whiskey and or beer or both. <laughs> that and and, some, and something to smoke and maybe some mushroom shrooms as well. Some <laughs> then it would be really chippy. Then that yeah, that would be perfect. Um, so, yeah, so, certainly the dog has been sniffing around the mushrooms that are popping up in the garden. So I'll, I'll just take my cue on what's working for the dog. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, this is a great question in terms of the time thing, and one of my favorite quotes or a line that stuck has stuck with me for forever. Um, as a kid, I was into uh, heroic fantasy novels mm. and one of the ones that i read was um by michael moorcock and it was the um swords trilogy uh, and in the first one the knight of swords um the hero Coram meets his this guy that turns out to be an immortal who is a the companion to champions and he takes on these different guises but he's always a companion to the hero um kind of plays the mentor role in a sense, but when they first meet, one of the things he says to it, this Coram character is that time does not exist and space is an illusion. And just reading that one line just blew my mind completely uh, when I when I when I read that. Um and it further on to that, because the other part of that is because they ask him, Well, what's your name? And he goes, um, you know, a name is only a word yours changes as does mine and because he's used to being eternal so he didn't actually i think this was a he was this was his coming first coming into this incarnation so he wasn't actually really sure what his name was Mm. at the time and i think he responded with i am i am all i am no man in all men and that yeah his name changes as does your name changes as does mine um and then yet yeah so i was just completely blown away but this time idea um is a subject that um i get uh, yeah i love it so i'll just throw this out and then just we'll see where we go we'll just kind of rift on this because there's i don't know if you read um is it tim hodgins's book the art of idleness or something like that and he makes a case for the fact that actually time because you mentioned the watch is a false construct and it's a construct yes. um, as we use it today it's a construct born out of the sort of industrial revolution where you have um, factories and you needed to have everybody in the factory at, at the same time doing their shifts mm. and everything had to move in accordance with the factory so you know then we get watches so that you know I can be on time you know everything you know, think about even today nine o'clock Nine to five is the standard time for working, you know, but why? Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone across, you know, all of England today, 
right, or not so much now because of lockdown, um, you know, we would be heading towards our vehicles for the most part, the majority. That's why we have rush hour on both ends. Um, headed off to work to start at nine o'clock, all these people. Um, and so he's, you know, makes this case for the fact that, yeah, it's a false construct that we kind of fell into to get into the rhythms of the factory um, so that everybody could be like basically part of the machine and make the machine efficient. You know, school starting at that time, parents can drop them off, they can get to the factory um and so on and i read somewhere else and this may be in a physics uh book the wushu masters i don't know if you ever read that um i've got it somewhere on my shelf i got too many books man Um, but anyway in that one he was talking about um that actually and this goes back to this thing that time actually doesn't exist it's just a construct that we've created to measure uh to measure change uh, but if 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 you know if you're an immortal being etern- and you're eternal, which our souls supposedly are, um, then there is no time. Uh, it all everything is always happening now. Yeah, I think um, so. The, the the thing you referred to at the very start, the um, the. the series that you were reading as a kid as it when you were a kid was it yeah well, a teenager 13 14 yeah. somewhere in there so that actually is a lot of relevance really when somebody introduces that and then challenges that thought because we've all been brought up in in the industrial age where time's almost uh, pegged as a fixed it's a constant so it it's a linear thing. It is that nine to five. Um, it is that 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Um, and then one of the books I read was the famous Stephen Hawkins book, The Brief History of Time. Um, and that was the first real sort of thing where I was introduced properly as how time is a variable and the space-time sort of thing that goes on. So there's obviously, there's the different theories, and it, I think it does mean different things to different people. And I, one thing I've observed is, and you, I remember starting my working career, and I was talking to one of the old guys, you know, really probably a few years off retirement. And he said, you mark my words, he said, as you get old, the time will go by more quickly. And uh, I looked at him and just shook my head and you know walked off not really understanding what he meant but now I do (laughs) because we've talked about how 2020 is a write-off so this is a fixed period of time you know Covid's hit and the the country and the world's gone topsy-turvy but when I look in the blink of an eye it was the start of the year for me personally and now in, in the world of business, you're measuring time in weeks. So yeah. we're in week 35 now. We've gone past quarter one with financial reports. We've gone past quarter mid-year in quarter two. We, we, you know, we're not far off one month away and we'll be at the end of quarter three. And that's just like crazy. Is that the way that really we should be marking uh, the, 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 the kind of, events by the the clock and 
is that something yeah, I get it for business and that's why it all comes around but as individuals what does time mean to us and can we actually break ourselves out even for a a period to just drop the idea of time I think and there's a couple of things there though isn't there I mean I think we're conditioned to time so we have this nature of time and mm-hmm. people you know, are stressing themselves out and because and, you got to do everything in this lifetime. You want to try and cram in everything. And, and talk, you know, you get this idea of, you know, life is short um, in, in relationship to relative time. It's very short for humans. So you got to do everything. And so we, we seem constantly um, held slaves to time. And yes. if I'm just sitting around, you know, idly doing nothing, which is the case of this, you know, you know, it's better to be idle. Um, mm. We just think I should be doing something. I got to be filling up this time with productivity or learning some new skill or something. You know, we just feel like we've got to not do the thing for the, itself necessarily, but do it because I got to cram it all in because I got to do all these things before I don't have any more time left. So, um there's a great scene in uh, The Last Samurai, that Tom Cruise one. And he um, he meets the guy in that cherry orchard. And he's like, you know, you could spend a lifetime just yeah. studying this cherry blossom. And it would have been a life well lived just staring at this blossom. And that whole, again, like this whole concept of, you know, being in the, in forgetting time and just being in the moment. Yeah, the past does does not exist. The future does not exist. So the only real time in quotation marks is the now. I know that's very echotolish, isn't it? But you know, it's only now. And but our minds spend a lot of time in the past, where you're thinking about old times and good Mm. memories, um, or we spend a great bit of time in the future. What am I going to do this afternoon? What I got going on this weekend and tomorrow? And so. My mind is rarely, rarely in the present. And I know I quote a lot of movies, but I can't help it because I'm a movie geek as well as a book geek. But um, you know, a scene with Yoda and he's chastised and Luke Skywalker. And it goes, long time have I watched this one. Always his mind somewhere else. Never his mind, you know, on the, on the future. Oh, the future. yeah. Never his mind on where he's at and what he's doing. Um, yeah. And I think we struggle with having our minds here and the and the watch doesn't help because you it makes you stay aware of time i don't know if you ever tried just you know taking your watch off and not having any clocks around you and see what that feels like (laughs) um but we do experience that think about when you go on when you go on a good holiday uh time takes on a different dimension you know time can shrink and time can take a long time if you're doing something that you're absolutely enjoying and you're there in the moment the time flies, where that saying comes from, you're just because you're just totally engaged. Or if you're doing something that sucks, you know, a minute yes. can feel like hours. <laughs> you're watching the clock thinking, ah. Um, yeah, so you're right. I think time is one is relative, is relative to what you're doing. Uh, Mikhala Chikmahala in his book about flow, I don't know if you come across that in the flow state. No. Um, and that's all about inducing these peak performances and peak performance generally happens in the now. So 
if you get engaged in an activity where time ceases to exist for you because you're so engaged in the activity, then mm. you really experience these peak moments. But mostly, you did that sorry, as part of the, you did that as part of the Havana Cafe. I remember that one now. That was a specific Havana Cafe um, discussion. Yeah, we talked about the flow, that sort of flow state. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you get into the flow state. Once you can hit that, you're hitting the sweet spot, and you're 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 in the zone and and being productive or enjoying what you're doing. You're in the moment. Yeah, and you just completely. And I'm sure you've had moments. Mm. I'm sure people listening where you've, you know, you started doing something. The next thing you know, it's like dinner time, or it's you know, it's late in the evening. You're thinking, man, where did all the time go? And because you were just so absorbed in what it is that you were doing that's right yeah and i'll throw this other one and then i'll stop because i want to hear what you have to say (laughs) because it's you just got you opened up the vein man it's like ah because um um this thing about um we have a tendency even though so it's a paradox i guess we feel like we're gonna we don't have enough time so we try and cram a lot of stuff in um but at the same time, we live our lives as if we're going to live forever. So we just assume we're immortal. When That's actually right. nobody knows how much time you have. You know, we assume, you know, you've got till you're going to be 80 or whatever. But in actuality, you know, this podcast could be the last thing we do in time. And, you know, we're, you know, expire and, and done. So, but we live at our lives as if we're going to, that, that we live forever, basically. Yeah, that was something that I was going to talk about as well, because it's this. So coming back to what you were hitting on about, do you live by the clock and by the schedules, which is what we're indoctrinated to do? And I think with the increase in use of of technology and, and connectedness, there seems to be um, uh, more of that pressure there and certainly that creates that false sense of security uh, to your point of we can't rationalize we think we're going to live forever and so this this uh, level of um, isolation from um, things that could uh, you know be be mortal to us very easily uh, are removed from our lives which gives us this false sense of security and that then comes back to is if you've got that pressure you know that there's this outlying risk there what are you going to do with that time so if if um, somebody of greater beings up there and he's got an hourglass and he's got 81 years for you and uh, 75 years for me and we know about that or we know we've got this this fixed amount of time what would that do to us? What behavioural change would we we make? What would we hold dear and and maybe focus on? To your point of the cherry blossom tree, that just focusing on one thing and doing it incredibly well is actually a life well spent, mm. no matter how long that life is going to be. And and is that the the thing that we should? aspire to do is rather than be uh, attempting to experience everything yeah uh, that modern life allows should we cherish the the fact of 
been uh, maybe building expertise in in a few things or um, whether that's as an individual with people who want to do something by themselves or somebody who's going to be doing something that they really get a buzz for working with others. Um, I think because it just seems that, you know, again, just societal kind of push or just the mainstream culture and the things that we get in the media that, you know, you've, you've got to be doing everything. So, you know, if you're, if you're not doing 10,000 things and you're wasting your life, um, yes. if you're just doing the same thing that you always do, but you enjoy it, you know, then that seems, you now are you, are you maximizing your life? Are you maximizing your potential by just staring at a, a, a blossom tree? Or if I just happen to be someone who likes gardening and, and just in my back garden, but I don't do much else, but it brings me great joy. A lot of people might see that as well. There's so much more you could, you know, you could be um, doing and um, with mm. your time. And you're an engineer, so you're probably familiar with the that consultant joke. You ever heard that one where a consultant comes into a, uh, a village, he's on holiday, and, and the fisherman uh, takes him out on a boat and they catch all these fish and the guy gets this concept that, well, and starts talking to the fisherman about, you know, well, actually, if you, you know, invest, bought more boats and get a fleet, yeah. you could catch more fish and you could earn lots of money. Um, and basically the end of the joke is the, uh, the fisherman's like, well, you know, actually almost kind of why? Because he's like, well, I get all that and I get some money and I can retire. What would you do? put all that money in and retire. And the fishermen basically say, I would you know, get in my boat and go fishing. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of that, you know, yeah, we want to go and want to maximize something, but, but, but why? I guess it's, it's taken that time out to say, one, what do I, how do I want to spend whatever time I have? And should I spend it on the things that are important to me? Because every time and every moment that I'm not spending my time on things that are important. Um, now we we just uh, we just need to pause for time here for a, for a joke as well. Okay. Yeah, because because yours was a little bit of a serious joke. <laughs> so my my engineer joke is is how many engineers does it take to change a light bulb? Thirteen. A hundred. One to hold the bulb and ninety nine to turn the ceiling round. <laughs> yeah. I so like there it. you go. No, absolutely. No, I dig that one. So that, that's that's my career started and ended <laughs> in the world of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your debut comic today on 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 the episode. I like it. That's good. Yeah. So this my my, my, my humor is a very basic level anyway. So um, yeah, yeah. But that's yeah, some, that's uh, often the best kind is uh, you know the sort of base basic basic humor. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, and another thing, the other way. so, you know how we live towards like the weekend and I, I always have to catch and stop myself from doing this, or you're going to go on holiday next week and you, and you, you know, people wish, oh, I can't wait to the weekend and I wish it would go faster and I wish it was next week. And it, if you stop and think about that statement, you're wishing your life away. So, oh, yeah. You know, it's like you know, if you're living in the future and wishing it was next week because you're going to be doing this great thing, 
if you really stop to think about it, you're going to be a week older and you're going to be, you know, a week closer to death just statistically. So why would you want to wish your life away? Why not, you know, just assume that today is all that you have and maximize today as opposed to putting things off to tomorrow and next week and and be daydreaming about the life you're going to have next week or three years time or whatever. Um, it's a funny, funny old thing that, and I was looking at, um, did you mention about time being linear and I'm looking on thoughtco.com, uh, and they're saying that physicists define time as the progression of events from the past to the present into the future. Basically, if a system is unchanging, it's timeless. Mm -hmm. So it's this measure of time. Um, and so time is considered to be the fourth dimension of reality used to describe events in a three-dimensional space. That's right. Yeah, which is quite cool. Um, there's, there's a really good app for that, and I'll have to send it to you separately. It's, it's pretty good. Um, and it, it, you can, it explains time in a very visual way. All right. And explains that additional dimension, which is, is hard to grasp and visualize. It's, it's pretty good for that. And that's where, um, when I, I look back at certain things and I think, all right, what have been my most memorable events? Perversely enough, some of those most memorable events that I look back on have been actually times when I first, I've, I've been in really tricky situations. All right. Tricky um, as in death, tricky? Uh, well, a mixture of, of uh, you know, personal bereavement, which everybody goes through, those, those are obviously strong memories, but also um, things that where you've had to, you've been challenged over something, or you've been in an argument, or you've had your ass kicked, and, you, you know, you've had to figure ways out. The, the less memorable ones are where things have just gone easy, mm. you know, and, and sometimes for me, Holidays and nice things are less memorable than the painful things. Okay. So it's almost to maximize your life. Do you go out and seek out things that are going to cause you pain and avoid the things that are, are going to... Um, is it be... the pain or is it the adventure of the unknown? Because that's the whole thing where, you know, for me and the adrenaline junkie and all that kind of stuff is it's the risk of the pain. And it's painful because it's hard, but it's more about, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, and I have to be fully present in this moment uh, because well, I could die if I'm one. not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's actually because you know what's coming. The anticipation um, of it is, is usually worse than the actual event itself, and when you're in the middle of the event, you're full on and you are engaged in whatever you've got to do to overcome that particular barrier or challenge and i think that's and what that, makes it memorable isn't it that's a, because you're so intense and you're so in the moment and everything is hanging in the balance that's what makes it memorable everything else is just just kind of blends into the the next day or the day before is no different you're in the kind of rinse and repeat kind of thing like for how different is today going to be from your yesterday and the day before that Now, that is that's a quite a good point. So for me, the way I viewed this particular week, 
and this is something I've been trying, is I live, I'm largely living by the clock in my work life. So what I did at the start of the year, I took a deliberate decision to actually log my start time, which is fairly routine anyway. So I, I'm not a nine to five person. I'm a, I'm a seven to five. So start at that time. But when I get to the office, the first thing I do is I, okay, like people do, you plan what you've got to do. This is what I want to get, try and get done today. And I know I've got to have some noise hit me. But I actually set a leave time because prior to that, I wasn't setting a leave time. So I was just basically getting to a point of drifting through the day and as the day wore on. And consequently, my leave time would just get delayed, delayed, delayed. So to add some structure there. Now, when I come to then for what my plan is today is actually is to ditch the clock, ditch the time, because there's certain things I need to get done at home. Um, and I'm really going to rely on my energy to get those jobs done rather than worry about the time. So I'll be flexing the difference between time is fixed, but energy is variable and exploring that. And that's something that I, I've been trying over the past few weeks. If, so are you saying you're going to ditch I, the clock today as in you're yeah. not going to pay attention, apart from the fact that you had to be on this call at a certain time, but after that, you're going to ditch the clock. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And because, but no. And because yeah. So no watch. And and, and not no, look at your phone. Time wise. No, no, there'll be no need to do that because I've got. To, I want to get some tasks done. So that'll be a point of where, uh, like uh, you know, I I enjoy cycling, and if I've got the time aside, right, I have no aspiration. I'm going to start at this time. So I always have a start time. But I'm going to use the day, and I'm going to get this done if it's if it, whatever it is. Here's one for you. Then, so, what time are you going to eat? When I'm hungry. Oh, very good. Good answer. That's a very zen answer. <laughs> exactly. But, but what I have to do is I've got to ignore the time that my stomach is telling me to eat, which will be around about twelve o'clock. Well, so if I burn okay, that, because of because of the conditioning, you mean it's yeah. going to start? Okay, can't you? So sometimes I find, and this is always a nice little mini challenge, is, is in order to break through that, you just got to ignore the hunger and just say, right, just keep going. And then the hunger pangs go, actually, because your body forgets about it. It, it just moves on. Okay. Your stomach well, is... Maybe one way of doing that so that you don't be reminded of time, because if, you, if your stomach makes a hunger pain, your mind's going to know that it's near lunchtime. So mm -hmm. if you ate something, I don't know, at, you know, shortly after we get done with this, so that you are essentially, you know, there's, you're full or, you know, yeah, that you'll miss that 12 o'clock time of your stomach saying, hey, man, it's time to eat. <laughs> um, but I find, I find if I'm, if I am engaged in something, like really engaged in, in it, um, then I can sometimes forget to eat. Yeah. Because I'm just, my mind was completely occupied with something else that I wasn't aware of the time by watch and my belly was not aware of the time because I was too consumed in what I was doing. And usually that's something physical. 
because the body's working on a physical problem. It doesn't have time to be hungry until I sit down and be still or something. Mm. So do you think that time does vary with age? Do you, do you find that, that as you've got older, that time has gone past more quickly? Um, I don't think in the, on the micro level, so time like in a day-ish, no. But when I think of the bigger picture, like on the maybe a year span, so years seem to go um, faster. I'm more aware yeah. of the passing of a year. But day, um, not so much. Um, I am aware on the other end that, you know, you mentioned 80. One or eighty-two. Uh, so statistically, I think in the UK, the average lifespan of the male is like eighty-one or something like that. Eighty, mm-hmm. eighty-one. Women is like eighty-three. Um, and so I'm, I, I'm quite aware that I'm on the backside of. I'm into the second half, slide into home, basically. Um, in terms of if I live to the average age and, you know, I'm only, you know, 30 or less than, you know, yeah, probably less than 30 years away from dying. And then if you think about how fast the first 30 years of your life went, you kind of get a sense that, yeah, I don't got, I don't have a whole lot of time left. Um, and there are things that I want to do. So it's like, all right, well, if I'm going to do them, I got to do them now. Cause I don't actually have that much time left. So whatever it is that, I'm wanting to do, I got to do it sort of now, but not in the sense of trying to do like everything, but more what you said earlier about picking and choosing the thing that's important that I could focus on that one or two things mm. so that I'm not dis- distracted with lots of things that eat up the little time that I have left. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And this is, I suppose, is that distractions eat the time the time disappears when you're distracted and the distraction occurs when somebody's introducing something external to you that it's um whether that's you you're trying to get something done on a a blog and you get an an advert pop-up or something like that and you find yourself down a what rabbit warren or you go on to, in my, my personal thing is, you go on to YouTube looking for one thing, and before you know it, <laughs> you've looked at 100 things. Well, that's a good way to eat some time up when you go on to YouTube. But, I, I mean, I would flip that around the other way. That's the best way to discover new things. So I don't give myself a hard time okay. uh, when I go on. Because and and that's one of the things I think is the most beautiful thing about the internet. Because I love this whole knowledge thing, and mm. um, it's like I can learn so much. And um, by following these random links, I get introduced yeah. to things that I would have never thought to find. So it's a it's a discovery place for me. Just when I go onto these, um, and I. Yeah, and and this, um, this other book by Lin Yu Tang, um, the art of the importance of living, and he talks about being you know wayward, being a vagabond, having this sort of uh, really relaxed relationship with time, giving you you know focusing on the things that are real around you and enjoying. So if you know if you like having a whiskey, well enjoy the drink of the whiskey. Don't 
drink it fast. Don't drink, you know, just enjoy it and enjoy the company of the people that you might be with when you're doing it. Um, yeah, so yeah. any of the things that you do and just relax into the thing that you are doing, whatever, from his point of view, is like whatever it is that you're doing. And, you know, and even think about like if you were to go to your normal sort of shop in your town that you, you know, we always take the same route because we know the fastest way to that place. Well, why not just go some other weird way Um which again is a good way to discover something you might not have seen before. Um, it's going to take you longer, in a in a relative sense. But if you're if you are in tune to what's around you when you go in this other way, you can notice and you can learn and you can, um, and you might even uh, run into someone that you would have never run into if you never took that route that might turn out to be, you know, someone that has a profound impact on your life going forward. Um, but we so don't. This is almost like the, I'm a Star Trekky uh, fan. And uh, there's a moment where Spock says, uh, why have you, he's been, he, he graduates from the academy. Mm. But he refuses to, uh, this is from the uh, Science Academy, the Vulcan Science Academy. And uh, during the ceremony, they offer him his, a post working at the Science Academy. He refuses. Um, and he says, then he's challenged why. And he says, well, I want to cultivate as many opportunities. And that's the point. You you can cultivate opportunities, can't you? Which, which will really what you've just said by allowing a distraction, whether mm. that's um, have been distracted by others and engaging with them. You, opportunities then open up, don't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. And other possibilities, other other paths open up to you, um, which creates uh, quite a, a rich way of, of of living a life and spending your time. So I think that's a perfect phrase. There, it's a rich. It makes your, it enriches your life in mm. that way. If we're so focused on always going. You know, I've got to get from point A to point B in the shortest amount of time because I, so I can get there and hurry up and do the thing that I need to do. Who has time to just, one, go out and get lost? I know you and I both like to do that. You just kind of go and go somewhere and and don't be okay with getting lost. Um, yeah. And, it's and yeah, it's that song, uh, UB40, you know, from Brief Encounters, Habits Grow. You know, so these different people that you meet that you might never have meet because you never really go down that particular street or road or um, or whatever. Yeah, you just open up some worlds of possibilities. Now, here's another profound thing from my teenage years that blew my mind. Um, and this one's a song, and it's Pink Floyd's uh, Time Off the Dark Side of the Moon um, album. And this song just... Yeah, it just blew blew my brain. And I'll read the lyrics from it. It's just great stuff. It's uh, ticking away the moments that make up a dull day. Uh, you fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way, kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. So you're tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You're young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And then one day you find 10 years have got behind. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And I love that. And I love this next line. 
So you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. And it's like, oh, <laughs> that just that just blew my mind that when I first came across that um, that song, um, and I wasn't even old then, but I could relate <laughs> very much to this. Um, and even probably even more so now. In fact, I mean, this song has been with me for a, a long time. And I mm-hmm. think probably maybe another sort of poke in the eye when I was in the 30s and coming up. But that whole, you know, you're running and running to catch up with the sun. And it just comes up behind you. And, and you never, it's almost a counter argument to what we've been talking about in terms of just you know, relaxing, taking your time about things, being distracted by things. Um, but if you go that route, you're right. Like this guy, you wake up 10 years ago and you're like, heck, where have yeah, I been? Exactly. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> um, and now do I got a race uh, to try and make up the time? And that's because you're, you're, you're firmly, you're in the rat race. You're, you're either, following the footsteps that people around you are expecting you to do and you're just doing it without thinking or yeah it's that expectation just, isn't it you live trying to live you're just up to caught, caught in a situation that you're forced to 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 do this for for whatever reason um but you're largely you're doing it unknowingly and that i'm with you on those lyrics for sure there mm. they're, they're brilliant um so yeah, as I say, the, me, I've just trying to been doing a little bit of experimentation, understanding a little bit, particularly with COVID, about using the concept that time is fixed, but energy is variable. And with some other other things as well about, you know, where do you want to be, where's your sort of like desire zone and all the rest of it, and where's your drudgery zone and all these sorts of tools. But largely, it's um, a case of of playing around with that. And and one example, and I don't know if it's of interest to others, but and if it's if it is possible for people, but I got up one morning and my head wasn't in it to start work. It just was not there, and I've been working on my own from a couple of weeks, so I was probably losing sense of a routine. I don't know. So what I did is I went out and did some cycling for a few hours and started work at 11. So I'd got that out of my system, but then my I was prepared for, for the next task. So my energy wasn't in the right place to be sat at a computer and answering emails and that sort of stuff or working on spreadsheets. It was, um, it was not at that level. So I had to reuse it. And that's understanding then that if you're in a situation where for whatever reason you're just not getting the energy, then stop call time out and and move on because you're not doing anybody any good, particularly yourself. Um, and I think um, uh, a, a lot of people just because they, they feel slave to the time. Yeah. And, and if you push against it, you'll probably realize that when you actually do get to do the thing, maybe you'll, you're paid to do or whatever it is you somebody's expecting of you um your 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 energy levels are higher 
and therefore you're you're more proficient and making better use of that time. And I think that's something that um, people might be of use to people. I'm, I do think that way. So I do, and that's one of the reasons why I actually flex my day at work now, because I know, for me personally, I know my energy levels are, are higher in the morning yeah. and they, they wane in the afternoon. So if in the afternoon, I'm, I'm not enough and I don't mind telling you, I mean, I've, I've been on conference well, calls. You just told the, you're telling the whole world now. Remember, yeah, I've been on conference <laughs> calls where I've fallen asleep. Yeah. You want me to scratch that one out now? <laughs> 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 you're assuming nobody at work is going to find this and listen to it. They can say, oh, "Okay." So, yeah, my boss in the US yeah. is going to say, "Oh, no wonder you didn't uh, say much in that call." <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you're going to be really shocked when the next conference call I'm going to say, "Dave, you're awake." <laughs> But that's the point. And once I'd had this, this, I don't know, it's an aging, but the point is, is recognize that within yourself. And, and that might help people with how they handle time as but, an individual level. And I think one thing um, that. No, go ahead, go, go. We would just maybe wrap up on the personal side or the individual side, because I want to talk about how we as a species view time. Okay. Uh, with you and get your, your thoughts on. Yeah, so yeah, I guess my last thing on the personal side then would just definitely be about the sense of almost on the, the Zen aspect where they talk about, you know, um, eliminating the duality. So eat when you're hungry. So from a Zen point of view, the moment you formulate the thought of being hungry, you create a duality. So eat when you're hungry, drink when you're thirsty, um, sleep when you're tired. So don't create these 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 times I got to eat at 12 and that's 12 yeah. to one is lunchtime. Um, free yourself up from, um, that space and yeah, don't be a slave to, to time and into the, into the watch, but just be in the present space, being present, being present, doing whatever it is that you do and be present and doing it, whether you like it or whether it sucks, doesn't matter. Just be in that, space in that time and that you're there absolutely yeah and and think about the energy that you've got for that particular to be in the moment and if you can uh, capture that when you've got the right energy you'll certainly make it more memorable i'm sure yeah i think that's the that's maybe our collective wisdom our, our 50 our combined what 102 years of wisdom on this one yeah, man, that's it. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so this brings me maybe onto the the, the the next piece. But oh, I don't think we need to. Um, it won't be such an expanded conversation, I'm sure. But when I look at it from a society viewpoint, now you like all sorts of books, but I particularly like there's a, an old archaeologist. He's retired now, called Francis Pryor. Um. And actually, strangely enough, he used to, um, back in the 90s um, and the early 2000s, there was a wonderful series on Channel 4 called Time Team. Um, and it was an it was a fly-on-the-wall type archaeological dig that went around various locations. It started, obviously, in the UK, but actually went around the world. Um, and amongst other people, Francis Pryor was one of the historians and the archaeologists who was on that. And I've read a few of his books. And, and uh, 
I've learned a lot. And, and um, one of the books, I've got it on the shelf somewhere. Mind you, my shelf's a mess. So, um, But he's, he's basically looking at um, Britain. Um, uh, and if we take um, the sort of most recent history of this island and, and just assume it's 10,000 years um, and where we are today, so for those that sort of don't know, in 10,000 years in our lifetime, it's like, well, can you imagine what the world was like 10,000 years ago? Um, how people were, how many people were here? Mm. How did they live? What was the land like? You know, what other animals were, were living here? Uh, how did they eat? How did they survive? How did they form friendships? So Francis Pratt, when he writes his books, he's not about the mechanics and the science um, which is underpins of what his work is, but he's a lot about the humanity uh, and that sort of thing. If we just look at that for a moment, that you and I have been around for 50 years. So if we can imagine our 50 years in the context of 10,000 years, how do we rationalise that? How does uh, our society rationalise that? Because we never think of that. We, we almost think of... Um, even five years ago is a long time. We talk about the great the the, the financial crisis of two thousand and eight. Um, we there are moments in our recent history we we talk about and we think these are major milestones. These are the big game changes that have happened. But there have been other big game changes that we are unable to, um, I, in my mind get a grasp of that have happened. And some of those game changes, as Francis Pryor explains, they're more transitions. They transition from one thing to the next. You know, it wasn't a case of all of a sudden um, iron was discovered and um, the Bronze Age became the Iron Age overnight and the technology swept the country. No, it was a, it was a gradual change over, over many years. And, and in fact, obviously, bronze was never lost as a metal. Um, so my kind of if we can't rationalize time as um, a historical concept and the intervals and our relevance to those then how are we able to make decisions about things that will affect the future does that make any sense um well, the short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you're saying like 50 years in the span of thinking about time is is kind of minuscule. It's nothing. It's a drop. It's not even a – it's nothing compared to all of time. Mm. Um, and so are you asking how do you make decisions about your future? Maybe just right? let me explain from the, the – historical background because so well, just just ago. just just before that i'm just thinking because i was just thinking about like um if i if i go back in time as a i don't know preteen and mm. people in school are trying to get you to make decisions then about stuff that we're going to be doing now as an adult and i think that's a big ask to ask kids they haven't lived enough to make a decision around it but because of time you need to make it now so you can do the things you need to do to be in that space sometime in the future. But I don't know if that's kind of where you were 
get an actor or not? I think this is where it will probably this, this is where this ends up at, which is actually is a more of a philosophical question, and it's a philosophical um, learning that I don't think we are we were taught, um, and when we are taught history. Um, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. <laughs> but when we are taught history, we're taught we're taught in a very linear fashion of particularly in the UK, it's the, the, the kings and queens and all the rest of it. Oh um, uh, yeah, well, I've got a bone about that because I'm a historian by training, trade, uni, all that sort of stuff. And the stuff they do in school, they do a disjustice to history, which because they do make it linear, they do make it about time. Uh, which is just not good. But anyway, go on. Sorry. <laughs> well, if you and and this is when I come back to this this historian Francis Pryor because if you look at that from a, a human context of what was it like to be in that age, um, and what's it like to be in this age, and then you can relate to that. Um, what was it like if you look at an old black and white photograph? We can probably relate to the people because we might have had the experience of those people because they were our grandparents, for instance, or, or some older relations. So how do we relate then to um, peoples that have lived before or live in different uh, locations and their context of their, their timeline and history in order then that we get some sense of um, what decisions we'd need to make as a future because the the past influences and can guide the future of what we 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 do. Yeah, it reminds me of two things. It reminds me of a one of the sayings that we historians have: that those who ignore the past or the mistakes of the past are bound to repeat them if you ignore your history. That's right. Um, and then, yeah. So, so on a number, so a couple of levels. So, on one level because I did uh, military history was my sort of concentration that I did. And one of the things that we did in that, doing a study of there, is understanding geographically and culturally what was important to a group of people. So in Israel or in um, in Europe, in the different countries, what is what's culturally has been important to them about their geography, about the uh, where they are, and what would rouse them to war, basically. So take England, for instance, um, you know, in World War II even for, for that. And, you know, it's um, it wasn't until Germany started to actually build the fleet that Britain really started to get, okay, we got to get ready to do some stuff about this because historically the ocean being an island and you know that was your dominance and as long as you could dominate the waters you were good um you know when the germans started you know really going after it for the fleet then you really got aroused so you could make mm-hmm. the argument if you know you know had germany confined its stuff to the continent would britain have um moved faster same with the states you know we didn't come in right away but soon as Germany started having dealings with uh, Mexico and trying to get the Mexican government to sort of come on that side. And then, you know, German submarines starting to peer off our, you know, the East Coast. Now, um, you know, stuff's got to be done. And so, but understanding, from your point, if you can understand the peoples, 
what's important to them, what we're rousing the action is kind of one way to look at that. And I think on another yeah. level is divorce yourself from time and just think in terms of humanity, um, you know, what really connects us all together as humans. You know, we're essentially the same creatures wherever you live at, you know, the same basic fears, hopes, desires, um, and the like. And if you connect at that level, you have a sense of what's it like to be um, in other people's worlds on a basic level because they'll mm. be after the same thing. Um, yeah, I used to think about this as a soldier, you know, one of the worst things that you could do um, as, a, as a, you know, preparing your army for war and your soldiers for war is to dehumanize the enemy because that yeah. creates atrocities and things like that because you don't see them as human. You see them as subhuman or as beasts. So then it makes it easier for you to do bad things to them um, in, in a sense. But if you don't strip away the humanity of the enemy, then you realize, again, it, you know, they have an ideology, uh, ideology. You have one, and it just happens to be different. And you guys are, and this is, I guess, talking more as a professional soldier than you know. We just happen to be on different teams, and and I respect you as a soldier, kind of thing. Versus if I dehumanize you, I don't respect you as even as a human being. Um, and then different things happen when you find yourself in that situation. So, I think it's the how do you make you know, future decisions, uh, you know, to making decisions now in the present that's going to affect humanity coming forward is probably more connected on a human level. Um, but then I think we do things because we think we're going to live forever and because, yeah. um, you know, we are in a race to get as much stuff done in our own lifetimes that we're maybe not thinking about the repercussions of those decisions on a future um, society or future folks of our country or family even. But largely then what we see is the the risks that affect society, just as a rough generalisation of reduced over time. So, yeah, we've, over time we've tamed the lands uh, we become hunter-gatherers and farmers and, and settlers, um, and we've we've tamed diseases and uh, increased our lifespan, which may give some rise to is our concept of time and uh, that we live in the live in our lives today that we assume we're going to live forever, and therefore we make short-term decisions without any real regard for the future. Um, because what you've just explained there about how uh, soldiers are taught is, is born out of some bitter experiences. But why shouldn't that be taught to school children, for instance, that mm. but, but they understand that as part of their learning? Because then my, my I guess my point really is is that when you you look at the uh, a longer time span like the, the ten thousand year time span, yeah, you can certainly see markers where there have been um, shifts um, that have created a new circumstance 
and a new trend. Um, and what we've got today is so much interconnectedness that with the time that we have available, which obviously in decision-making is, is always quicker and quicker over a, a, what feels like a short period of time but can have big effects, what we not, I think, need to do is to take a look at that and maybe study and understand that with a view to is, okay, these decisions have these consequences for the future, but beyond our lifetime. Now, the environment is, is one big thing around that, but there are lots of other things as well. So I think it's almost like as, as a human species, is it ingrained in us that we only will respond to something when there's an external catalyst to it? Now, that catalyst could be driven by an individual who's, who's, who's quite unique that creates something that forces a situation that we, we have to respond to. Um, or it could be a, an event that's outside of our control, like, like COVID, for instance. So it's, it's this idea for that, from my viewpoint, is that if you have an understanding of, of where we sit today, as individuals, where we actually sit in the fullness of time and the fullness of history, and then think, okay, what is our future for the future generations? And what what have, what are we going to do with our time in order to create a a, a time that is is um, is better? Or do we leave that as a problem for them to solve? or in the hope that they will figure the solution um, and, and maybe that we hope the younger generation, all these smart um, scientists, will, will figure a vaccine for COVID, for instance. Mm. Yeah, I have a, a standing joke on that in that, um, like I say, oh, why do, we need to, why do I need to recycle and, you know, save energy? That's, that's mm. my kids' problem and their kids' problem. they got to figure out what they're going to do with the environment. I had to deal with the oil thing from you know, the sort of baby boomer. So we got to give each generation their problem to solve. So there you go. There's there. There's my gift to the um, future generation. But on a more serious note, I think some of this comes back to philosophical belief, though, isn't it? So, mm. you know, not everybody's community oriented or thinking about others. Some people's philosophy centers around self. So egoism is about, you know, self and maximizing your um um your your time your what what makes you most happy and other people have that's their own they've got to figure that out for themselves um so egoism would put you in that and if you're into altruism um then it's it's more about what decisions that I'm making and the impact of on others in the future but not everybody's oriented that way and then back to the sort of time thing we're also just assume because we're mostly kind of living our lives as if we have a long time. And so I'm making a lot of short-term decisions, but not necessarily thinking about the impact of those short-term decisions, because I can do that next week. Right now, i got to do this thing. But you don't realize between now and next week, you've made a whole bunch of decisions that have other, you know, the sort of cause and effect, that have other effects. Um, and it just kind of um, keeps steamrolling. 
But because you think we think that we have more time, I can do that next week. Oh, yeah, I'll get to that next month. I'll put that on my goal list for 2021. You know, like people were saying, oh, yeah, 2020 is a write-off. But, you know, you don't write off time. And there's no, still no. the same amount of, you know, days in this year. So how are you going to maximize um, your, the, yeah, how you maximize in the day? I think one of the things that COVID maybe. Well, it's definitely helped for for me or made me think about is my relationship to time. Mm. As in, you know, yeah, why do we have to keep a nine to five standard, you know, based off that sort of industrial way of working? Well, in actuality, um, whether I start at 10 or 11, doesn't matter. Give me my outcomes. What do you want me to achieve? When do I need to have it achieved by? That's all I need. And as long as I'm getting that done, um then who cares if I decide I don't want to start work until eight o'clock tonight and I'm going to work through the night um, because it suits me for that day or um but we're still you know people were still getting up at home in the lockdown to sit at their computer for nine o'clock getting dressed to sit at the computer for nine o'clock um, and it's like but it's not even necessary to 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 do that anymore but we're so fixated on that and I get it, you've got to, you know, you're in a, but this is what, you know, don't rule it by it's nine to five. If you say I got a meeting at 12, well, great. I'll put that in the calendar and I'll be there for 12 because that's the time we've agreed to interact. Um, but if I don't want to do anything until 11 and then beef to this meeting at 12, and then I'm going to work through to whenever I get this task done. So, you know, focusing that way, I think, well, that's what happened to me. It made me rethink time and not try to push my... Even as a freelancer, I had the hardest time adjusting to the fact that I didn't have to do nine to five, but I felt guilty if I wasn't working between the hours of nine to five because you're supposed to work between the hours of nine to five. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, you know, one of the reasons of being a freelancer is I get to control my time more. So... But it was always like if I went to a movie on a weekday, on a Tuesday at the matinee, then there's, there's always that slight guilt. Oh, you should be working. You know, you just, <laughs> you know, you, you know, it's like, well, you know, I can work tonight and I can watch this two hour movie now and then I'll do two hours later on. But there was the guilt factor of, you know, not at my desk working on a Tuesday I think, afternoon. Um, I think that's, that's a, a a good way of for people if you know people who are feeling in this this rut is to to think about that because the time is theirs to earn you know the employer and, and certainly the changing attitudes of employment now mean we're going to be in, entering a, a different age of of industry without a shadow of a doubt we're mm. certainly entering a different way of how we consume things from what you and I have been um we've grown up with but how do you change it though because we want to change it now but you've got a whole workforce of people that have been conditioned in an old system um and so their minds don't work there i mean i, I must I'm, I'm asking the question and I'm, but i'm fully thinking well it's got to start with us changing the educational system and how we raise the next generation um so yeah, that, so so that they don't they're not we'll, latched into that well, first thing is that people are, we're built to adapt. So people are quite easily and uh, adapting to these, the changing situation that particularly COVID has brought about. 
uh, and we'll find ways. And obviously, there, there are the challenges with employment and economy, and we'll have to figure a way of adapting to that. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So that's what we're built for. We're built for adapting. We've got the the brain, the brain between our ears for for us all to to use. Um, I think, as we've discussed it this morning, the are we built to adapt, the, or is it like? You have to force me into it because we're such creatures of habit. Like people are struggling. I'm only going to adapt when you leave me no other choice but to adapt. But people are fighting to try and bring back the, back the what they had before, what they had before yeah. because they're such creature mm. of habits. And I know this thing, and I know if I do this and it works this way, and I'm comfortable mm. there, and I'm only going to adapt when I've got no other way. There's no other choice. I can't see any way back to get things the way they yeah, were. That yeah. I've got no choice but to adapt. I think then that's the responsibility of of, um, and it's something I recognise is that uh, our job and my job is is that you give people both opportunities. They can they 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 work the way that best suits them, and if it is, they need to be coming back to the fixed base. And working from the office doing the nine till five, or they prefer to a flip flop between office and home with some variation in the hours. And to your point of being, I'm more interested in getting the job done by a deadline, and that's what the business needs. Mm. Then, then that's fine. I think it's just giving people the tools to to do the, the to work the way that best suits them. And that's what we've been forced with for many years is. Um, the expectation is we're all going to conform and work a certain way. Um, and I think from that is the the output and the outcome isn't always the best. You're not getting the best out of mm. people. You're not getting the best result. Well, let me ask you this. What about, I mean, and I know we probably don't have time to address here because you're, you're talking, we'd almost have to do a conversation around work. You know, if all mm. the people that are going to work, would they work if they didn't have to work? So the fact that, you know, I'm forced into this space, if given, and I don't want to, this sounds worse than what I'm saying, if we, you know, if you give people all this free reign, would they naturally want to work? Well, maybe no, or maybe because they're blending it all at home, you know, they don't make a distinction and they just kind of lose all sorts of control. Uh, whereas if I can corral them into a space, and that's why I've got managers and and leaders and stuff to get them to do um, the thing that they wouldn't naturally want to do, but you know, I've got to motivate them, and you know, that's why we have all this stuff emphasis on motivation and leadership and providing direction. Because you know, I don't know, left to their own devices, with people one choose to work to do the things that they needed to do to make you know X happen, um, or is it the fact that you know work is just not something that people want to do naturally. And so you need no, the people want to work. You think they do? Yeah. Yeah. People oh, need to, that's another episode, man. Cause I don't, I'm not sure. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's, <laughs> that'll be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, sure. that might be a, that might be an argument of, of uh, two, two extremes. And that's maybe what would be a good exercise. Yeah. We, we come from uh, polar opposites and we argue mm. for an hour. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you give me the compelling reasons why people wouldn't want to work, and I'll give you the compelling reasons why I think people do want to work. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> I like it. I made a note of that one. Uh, next time but, we're together. Uh, yeah, we'll maybe just one. to finish off on the the subject of time. Mm. I think what we've uh, we've we've come through in this discussion, Clay, is that this becomes a very much is a hidden philosophical thing that people are not educated in and as you've referenced there are a number of uh, books and um and and probably research papers out there i'm sure there's there's in the world of philosophy there's some some real academic and solid work out there but the point is unless this is taken as seriously um and people actually are given the tools to understand or at least an awareness of what time is and how that relates to, in my, my eyes, I mean, that's why I enjoy the historical side, is when I think about the past 10,000 years, and I, I then I try and think about all the generations that have preceded me, that have created me, um, who they were, where they lived, how many of them were they, how many generations in the past 10 years of, of Anderson have been around and how does that then with the, with that almost that information and that guidance how does that make you think about what you do with your time and the the role that you have you, you're going to play in your life which starts really in teaching children this Hey, the dog made it onto the podcast i like it very good well let me ask you this though all the andersons so when they what what baton was passed on to you as the uh, you know yeah the all the Andersons that led up to you what did they give you to take forward to pass on to the next set of Andersons? Oh, um, I don't know. I'd have to ask the kids that. What mm. have I passed on to them? What do you, what do you, what, so if you formulate it, what do you think you passed on to them? Then ask them without telling them and see if they match up. That would be a good exercise. Hey, yes, it would. I think I'm going to have to ask them. Yeah. Mm. That'll be a, that'll be a, a, a bit of an eye opener. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, because there's, I mean, I, I, I don't know if we just, you know, at a point when we used to, you know, let me, you know, we go sort of back tribal, isn't it? So here's all the things, son, whiskey away from mom. You need to learn these things and hunt. Don't eat that plant. Don't do So, you know, we educated them to take the place and keep that knowledge alive. So oral history in that sense, let's keep it alive, mm-hmm. keep passing that knowledge on. And we get to a point now where you're probably passing on values in things, but there's just, you know, at five or six, they go off to an education system and now the state's, inputting what the state wants into the uh, the kid and um you know other institutions besides his home are passing on stuff to the kid and then they've got to sift through all the stuff that's coming from external things from what um you instilled up until age of seven um in them because i say it were you know show me show me the boy a girl at seven and I'll show you the man or woman later yeah. on. Um, and so, yeah. So, and, and what would be interesting is what were the things that you were wanting to instill 
what things that they picked up from uh, school and their peers that conflicted with the stuff that you were trying to pass on. And then subsequently, the kids formulated their own thing. Because, oh, yeah, what the hell does dad know? Um, he's old and that's just old stuff. So this is the way the world, new world works. You know, so what does that then look like? So that would be interesting to see um, how they assimilated or integrated what stuff they may have rejected or and maybe not even aware that they've rejected just yet, or maybe they have. Um, yeah, interesting. What stuff did you reject from your parents then if we just bring it back to a question that we could answer? Um, so, yeah, if you look at how things have been handed down, um, stuff I would have rejected was... Um, I guess. Oh, I don't want to be derogatory, but be um, because certainly my parents are not narrow-minded. But I, I, I kind of rejected a bit more of a conformist attitude that they've got, um, and I think that's probably what. You know, when I was of the right age, is what I flew the nest for. Mm. Is is be living a a a more of a a, a restricted life, if you know what I mean, mm. um, and a more of a life that was born out of routine, um, which is what my parents really were in their childhood would have been brought upon. So it was probably a a sort of a sense of that of uh, of uh, I think they lived a life of expectation, which is what they put upon me mm. uh, and my brothers, and uh, I wasn't of a mind to to be that way. Yeah, yeah? I get that. I'm uh, probably for... similar in the sense that my my family, mom, dad, you know, more practical, near my practical, realistic, you know stuff you can that's yeah and so i was no. always terminated you know you're dreaming head in the clouds and don't have your feet on the ground so i was you know branded with that kind of thing and mm-hmm. oh wait till the real world gets you and you know you're not grounded it's so that it's that, that whole push whereas i was much more into ideas and big picture and um as i was joking with someone yesterday and we were talking about um, you know, yeah, I wanted to do adventure. So I'm probably, I'm the only one you know, that's lived in a foreign country. I'm just gone, you know, I'm off. And I had no hesitation about getting away from home. And be, in fact, um, you know, this is just probably typical of, you know, a lot of Americans in the sense don't necessarily travel outside of the state. So I know in my family, Apart from my dad, who was in the Navy, my brother was Marines. You know, most of us probably don't don't own passports. No reason. I'm not going outside of the states. And um, whereas I just had this insatiable desire to see like everything um, beyond my city, beyond my country, beyond the borders. I mean, I lived in. I was in. I was up in. Well, even in people I went to high school with, or in that area. Um, some of them, we live in Augusta, they've never been outside of the city 
to another bigger city in the same state. When I was in upstate New York, there was this little town, a water town. Yeah. There was people who had never been to the next large the city, which is Syracuse. They'd never been there. And it's in their own state. And it was only a couple of hours down the road. I was like, how can... And they, and they were 30 miles south of Canada. Never, wow. went, never went across the border. Never stepped foot across that river. Like, how? How? How can you live like that? Um, but that was just yes. me. Me, I needed to go out and see and meet. And, um, I, that was, yeah, that's right. I think that was the, my, obviously, I never left the UK like you've left the US, but that was that was the catalyst. That was the thing that was a separation between the thoughts of my parents. I needed to to get my freedom, but to actually meet different people. Mm. And and that was the the the, the thing. I, what I knew was it wasn't a case of not perhaps what my parents, but I was also stuck in, I felt in a community of like-minded people of that hometown community, I think is what you've just explained as well. Um, and the need to to break from that. It wasn't a need for me to go off and study engineering or what have you, or do take up a particular vocation. It was the, uh, the overriding need was to get away. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, to get away. That's exactly yeah. I was like, I was plotting um, and scheming the day I could get the heck out of here i'm gone <laughs> but the, the but coming back to the baton that was handed what was actually handed to me were were a lot of practical skills and experience um that that i got mm. from from my parents you know simple things that actually if you don't get them when you're a kid they become harder when you're an adult even you know things like learning how to make bread of all things or jam yeah you know with my mother or or learning how to plaster with my father and but from that you get a confidence in what you can do with your own brain in your own hands with some basic tools and you then are more willing to give other things a try like fixing a car or doing a bit of plumbing in the house so the the practical baton is something that I am keen to make sure that my kids are equipped with. Yeah. See, I rejected well. all of that because my dad was so mechanic. I mean, I did try a little bit to, you know, work on the van and do mechanic, but none of that. My stuff was all books and head. Um, and I think you have to be just kind of gave up. I mean, I would come out and pretend, but it's like, which like even now, I don't, <laughs> have to, you know, give me a, a computer or something, you know, in a arted way versus a practical way. And I'm in, uh, even now, even here at home, uh, Ruth does all the um, DIY stuff. I don't be messing around with cutting any wood and <laughs> building shelves. She does all that. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Hey, so you're, we're exploding the myth here of you being the alpha male. Yeah, well, I'm an alpha male in a That's different it. way, man. <laughs> I don't be messing around with the <laughs> domestic. In fact, I'm even more alpha because I, I look at it this way: as I'm, uh, am, um, I'm a reluctant domesticated primate. So I don't mess around with anything in in the inside of the castle walls. It's all Bruce domain. My stuff is outside of uh, of the house. Um, but yeah, right. I don't, yeah. 
I mean, I'll, I'll do some stuff with the car, but not very much. But yeah, no, she's definitely the, the, because, uh, you know, her parents were all on a sort of practical. So she's the practical one of the pairing. She does all the thinking about the practical things. And we would probably never eat if it was up to me or have a decent kind of meal if I was left to, um, you know, figure out that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, and yeah, a whole bunch of stuff would just, it would, the, our household would collapse if you left these things. In fact, when she goes away, um, like we'll like go on a, a holiday or something and I'm not with her. Um, it was funny. And I got a picture, it's on Facebook somewhere. There's stick it, stick them notes, post-it notes everywhere. Order this feed and she had to name all the animals what they needed to eat don't forget to feed the kids it's like sticky notes all over the joint um to remind me of the practical things that i needed to do <laughs> inside of the inside yeah so yeah that's me wow that's 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 pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> i'm amazed i am truly amazed yeah, there you go. Yeah, I thought you. <laughs> I th- I thought you'd be uh, Mr. DIY, but oh, hell eventually no, not. No, nope, unless I'm again for me, unless I'm forced to. I'm not incapable of doing it, um, mm. and can do it, um, and especially if I, you know, in my head somehow make it a work of art. You know, it's like some kind of artistic endeavor, or creative endeavor that I'm in. Uh, okay, yeah. So that's yeah. what that's what gonna it drives you. That's the motivator for you is. Otherwise, it uh, gets a bit of drudgery for you to do that sort of stuff. Yeah, which is why you, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think there's an element of of that with uh, with anything that comes with slapping paint on the wall. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah, so, yeah. if you were summarizing this conversation up in relationship to time, um, what would that be? I think there's two aspects to time, which is really what I was thinking with this conversation. One is when you are living a life of lots of external influence, be sure to explore ways that fit with you on how to to make the best use of the time that you've got. Whether that's as as I've explained is is vary the energy or maybe do do activity according to the energy that you've got at that given moment and not worry about it a great deal because I think there's a lot of people who will be out there stressing over I've got to do this by this time or um, you know I've got to go to the gym now and then I'm going to go shopping and then do blah 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 and you might just stop (laughs) you just might not feel feel like you're in the zone for doing it so don't stress too much about time, but recognize that time is limited in the fullness of your life. So think about that as well. Yeah. Of, of really, you know, one thing that I always did, um, and the catalyst was really when I met my wife, was talk about what life means to you and think about that and what regrets you might have um, when you're, taking your last breaths and be sure that you don't have regrets that you can do something about. If you can do something about it, do it and make sure you do it because it could be too late. Mm. So use that as maybe a driver because we, we tend to respond better when we've got an external pressure 
that forces us to do something. Um, and then the other thing is, and that's really where my my real big thing is, like in the fullness of time, how do we uh, understand our relevance in as a society in a, an a extended period of time? And how do we make sure that we're using that to good effect that we, as you said, avoid maybe mistakes of the past, but actually empower a particularly younger generation that these are, the, these are some of the tools. Again, you're not telling people this is the way it shall be or this is the way the past exactly was because it's certainly we can't, we're not expert because we never lived it. Mm. But what we do know is that a bunch of humans prior to us all lived and all survived, thrived, died, and and all the rest of it. And there are some things that I'm sure can be learned from that that put our lifetime into some sort of context that helps people then uh, guide if they become uh, big decision makers, whether that's in the world of politics or, or, or business, that they're actually guiding that. And I'll give you an example. Um, so. One of the biggest uh, automotive companies, Daimler, which is uh, headquartered in Germany, uh, a few years ago, they celebrated their 100th birthday. And um, their CEO said, one of the core philosophies for this business is actually we've been around for 100 years. So our future is guiding us for the next 100 years. Our plans guide us towards the next 100 years. And that was said with some intent. And that's the, the thing we have to, that's why history becomes important. It's, it's, um, so I'll leave people with that as well. Mm. That's my, my closing thoughts on it. Okay, no, awesome. I think the big thing for me would be um, just reclaiming your relationship with time mm. and the fact that um, in reality, there is only now. You don't spend a lot of time about the past. It's gone. You can't do anything about it. Don't spend too much time thinking about the future because it's not here. Yeah. It's just, you know, you're just dreaming. But sort of maximize where you are with what you're doing. Be ever present in the space of 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 time. Um, and yeah, and relax into that. So, you know, do a thing with fullness of presence and not feel like, well, I only can do this for like 10 minutes. Because one of the things that always drives me nuts is when people say I'm too busy and I never can understand that concept. I mean, for doing things, it's like, oh, yeah, I can't do that. I'm too busy. Because I almost would challenge to say, okay, if I really looked at your day, you probably have loads of time. You know, don't tell me yeah. that, you know, every second you're doing something. You know, think of all the time you've used just checking email or checking the Facebook or I uh, want to just relax and watch this this news program or watch this little sitcom. You, you will find, or even sleeping, sleeping too much because um, you don't want to get up, you know. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. That's it. I think it's just maximizing your presence of time, not maximizing your time by trying to yeah. fill it up with lots of stuff, but maximize your time with your awareness and being present and don't waste time in the future and the past or your mental space in that way. Be here now, as my English professor used to say, be here now, Mr. Lowe, be here now. 
Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right, buddy. That's good. I enjoyed that. I can't wait to do this one on work because that sounds like it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Have you got the video feed coming through from me now? Um, I don't know. Let's see. Yep, I do. Yeah, you see that this is the thing that's the ultimate distraction. Now the doggy. Oh, the dog. The dog. Yes. Yes. Okay. In and out. In and out. Um, you wanted this spot on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We could do that. You could do an animal podcast, the mind of an animal. Yeah, absolutely. Which which is an enigma. If you I were going to, if if you were choosing an animal, what animal would you be? I'd be a duck. I'd, I'd be a Canada goose. A Canada goose. <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, right, that's cool. I was got because the whole. You, 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 it's the freedom bit, isn't it? You look at those things in the sky, and they yeah. they can they can go from wherever they, they go wherever they want. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I'd either be a hawk or a wolf, like a lone wolf. I wouldn't want to be a wolf in the pack. I want to be oh, a lone wolf, right? Yeah, I want to be roaming the wilderness, creating havoc. Oh, okay, <laughs> eating livestock. Um, no, I just uh, yeah, the the sense of being up in the sky has always fascinated me as a kid. So yeah, I'd yeah. be I'd be a Canada goose. Nice, good man. All right, 